Well, good morning. This is week uh, three in the book of Proverbs, and today we're going to take a little bit of a different approach, um, but I'm excited about this morning. By the way, a guy was walking out the door this morning, and he said to me, hey, I just wanted to tell you, your message last week was excellent. I'm like, thanks, thank you. The kid was next to him, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, you know, it was a little awkward, and Oh, really, really, last week was, it was excellent. And I said, oh, I said, today? He's like, ah, eh. So, so uh, uh, a 9.5 last week, but today maybe like 7.5. Ah, you know, he signed, smiled, and he walked out. So I don't know what you're in for this morning, but I said, well, I've got a little bit of time. I can work to make it better. So I figure if I'm, if I'm just a little more lively when I say things, maybe it will be better. No, okay. So really what happens is when I'm, when I'm over here during the music time, sometimes in the first service I'm like, I'm not into this music. And then in the second service they do the exact same thing. It's not like me, like one, ser- one service is a little different than the other, but they do the same exact music and I, I experience it way different. So here's the truth. I'm not the only one graded in the room. You all get graded too, by yourselves. Like when you come in, what kind of a heart and mind are you bringing? I have to do the same thing when I come in. As we were standing there this morning, just a few minutes ago, I'm thinking, okay, you know, am I worshiping God? How am I thinking about this morning? How am I in relationship to you and in relationship to God's word? So when we come in, are you determined that no matter what the person on the platform does, you're going to worship God. No matter what scripture is read, your heart is open to that scripture, and you're saying, God, speak to me. Spirit, speak to me. So with that, let, let me pray right now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And Lord, I do want to open my heart to you and to your word this morning. And God, we're here. Um, thank you that we really don't get graded because Jesus has made the A for all of us. And uh, by faith in him, we, we have a 4.0. But Lord, as we come this morning, uh, we do have hearts that can be closed, ears that can be closed, or hearts that are open to receive from you. And so God, uh, we're open this morning to receive from you. And uh, we wanna be worshipers this morning who worship in spirit and in truth. And so with that, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, but the title is, uh, Why Wisdom Isn't Enough. We talked about wisdom last week in the last couple of weeks, but wisdom really isn't enough. And I don't want to bury the lead, so I'll tell you what the answer is right off, right off the front. Wisdom isn't enough because there's a difference between knowing and doing. Wisdom is in the knowing camp, but there's a, there's a doing piece to it as well. And uh, doing is, uh, is very different than knowing. Uh, Solomon knew, but there were some things he didn't do. Uh, similarly, a few years ago, there was a, a website that was um, dedicated to helping people have an affair. I think it might have been... Uh, well, I don't remember the name of it, but it got hacked. And people could go on and they could put, make their own account, 
And then I, I never did it, so, but I'm imagining you would you know, put information in and maybe what you like and what you want, and it, the algorithm tries to hook you up with somebody that you, know, you, you fit with. And um, it got hacked, and all of the people's names got released. People that, you know, secretly didn't want to have their names out there. And one of those people uh, was a pastor who was also a seminary professor. So he pastored a church, and he taught in a seminary, and he was beloved. He was an excellent pastor. He was an excellent prof. Uh, People loved him. But his name was on the list, and it got it got put on a website. And when he found out about it, before he ever faced his kids or his wife, he just hung himself. He hung himself. And I'll never forget seeing a, a video of his wife and kids speaking, and his kids were, I think one was in college and one was post-college, and their, their biggest like pain and shock was that he felt like he had to do that like they wouldn't work through it with him. Like they didn't love him enough to forgive him and to accept him and that there could be life beyond that. But instead, he just took his life. And you wonder, how could somebody so wise and so learned in the Scriptures and with people do something so foolish? Wisdom apparently wasn't enough in a couple of years ago as well, uh, there was a pastor in our country who, who had a huge following. He'd been in his church for over 40 years, had all kinds of conferences at his church. I'd been to some of them. A friend of mine had been to almost all of them. Uh, a lot of pastors followed him, and he was getting ready to hand off the leadership of his church to the next generation. And these words started becoming public, and then it became public in the newspaper, and he started having these charges leveled against him. You know, not horrible stuff, but not good stuff. And he denied it, and he denied it, and his church board denied it. And then finally, it it all came to a head, and there were past staff members who were writing blog posts and saying, stop lying, just admit it. And he just, he walked away from the church, and he basically disappeared. And this person who had been teaching leadership for decades to hundreds of thousands of Christian leaders, all of a sudden was nowhere to be seen. The leadership just went whoosh. And I think to myself, how could somebody so wise, with all this wisdom and all this capacity, just like, just like disappear and walk away and not answer to anything and just be, they're just gone. How could they do something so foolish? How is it that successful, influential people do such bad or stupid things? Because wisdom isn't enough. Wisdom isn't enough. Success isn't enough. Capacity and uh, uh, competence isn't enough. So much of that is up here. But what is missing is here. That's why James wrote that faith without works is dead. Knowing without doing doesn't work. It just doesn't work. In fact, there's a phrase that gets bantied about theological circles, uh, faith alone. I think faith alone is not a great turn of phrase. 
because faith is never alone. In fact, James wrote that faith without works, it's dead being alone because there's no such faith if it's alive is never alone. It's always involved in works. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the author of Proverbs and look at the author of Proverbs and then take a look at just a couple verses this week from Proverbs chapter 3. But the author of Proverbs is King Solomon. And he wrote the book of Proverbs and he was the wisest guy on the planet. No lie, literally true. In 1 Kings chapter 4, it talks about Solomon. In verse 29, it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrahite, wiser than Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. From all nations, they were coming. They wanted an audience with Solomon. They wanted to listen. He would have been on the conference circuit for people that wanted to learn wisdom of his day. In fact, he was. And he would hold court and people from all nations all over the world would come to listen to this guy. The chapter before, it really started to lay out Solomon and his reign as the king of Israel. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So he made an alliance with Pharaoh, and he married his daughter. Good geopolitical move, by the way. This was really good. He was, he was making military and economic alliances. Every good leader of state will do this. And Solomon was no exception. Might have not been the holy thing to do, but it was the wise thing to do if you want to position yourself as a, as a leader on the world stage. So you look at the next, the next biggest uh, uh, empire of the time was Egypt, one of the largest, one of the most powerful armies. So he makes an alliance with the leader in Egypt, and he marries his daughter. He gets in good. We have alliances. We have an alliance with Mexico. We have an alliance with Canada. We have an alliance with Great Britain. We have an alliance with Israel. We have an alliance with other countries. Some of them get criticized. Like when you start making geopolitical alliances around the world, some people aren't going to be happy with the people that you ally yourselves with. Right now on the, on the world scene, Saudi Arabia is one of those places where for administrations and administrations, we make an alliance with Saudi Arabia. And there's, there's praise and there's criticism. 
Solomon was making an alliance because he was a leader on the world stage and he was smart. And he was doing what in his culture was the powerful thing to do. Verse 3, it says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. Amen. I mean, except just a little trifle of a thing, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. What? The high places were where the idols were. That's where the people from foreign nations would come and they would have these hills and these, these idol little uh, shrines and worship areas. And it says that he followed, he showed his love for the Lord, except that he, he offered sacrifices to idols. He burned incense to idols. That sounds mutually exclusive. Solomon was an idolater. And it was just part of doing business as the king. It was just the way it was. It's just what he did. What accepts would be in your life if somebody was writing a couple chapters on you? you they love the Lord, except, ah, I got this little bad habit that they do. What accepts would there be in your life? All of us would have them. All of us would have them. Some would be lowercase e and some would be all caps, right? Most of us, let me say most, maybe I shouldn't say all, most of us would have accepts. Solomon did, except that he offered sacrifices to idols. But later on in that chapter, here's what Solomon asked for. Understanding what that's true, that he allied with Egypt and then he worshipped false gods. Verse 7 says that Solomon's prayer to God was, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And here was God's reply. So God said to him, since you've asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Wow. Never has there been anyone like you, and in your lifetime you're going to have no equal among kings. This guy's set, right? God's answered his prayers. He's bulletproof. He's absolutely guaranteed to bring a great return. He's going to be successful, except that he wasn't. Because God also went on to say, and if you walk in obedience to me and you keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So being the top of your game, 
having nobody else equal to you, having more wisdom than anybody before you or ever after you, that didn't guarantee obedience because wisdom isn't enough. It's not enough because he says, he said, if, if you obey, but it wasn't guaranteed that he was going to obey just because he was the wisest guy in the history of mankind and always would be, which is really interesting. But eight chapters later in chapter 11, by the way, that's chapter 4, between chapter 3 and 4 and chapter 11, is a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff. Solomon is building a temple. He's uh, building a home. He's building all kinds of stuff. He's developing the nation. He's the top geopolitical leader on the planet. Then you get to chapter 11, and it says, King Solomon, however, he loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, don't intermarry with them because they are surely going to turn your heart away toward other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Wow, what a, what a statement. He held fast to them in love. Come on, Solomon. He had, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. A concubine was not just for pleasure, but a lot of rich people had one or more of them just to, just to replenish the family, to have more kids, to uh, uh, build up the family uh, strength and more workers, uh, more leaders, and the family would just be bigger. They'd have more descendants, so they would have concubines. He only had 300 of them. Then it says, and his wives led him astray. So, if you're a young person here this morning and you get uh, lectured to about who you're dating, this is why. Because the person that you give your heart to can lead you astray. They can also lead you in the right direction. Well, I didn't plan this ahead of time, but my wife, who I never likes to be talked about in the service. Sorry, hon. But she, she was the exact opposite. Um, I, what I loved about her is that I would know she would lead me toward God. She would lead me toward God. I would never, ever have to worry about being led astray, led away from God because of her. And the, she was a real easy decision um, to to be connected with her, to have her as my girlfriend back in the day because I knew that she, she would always lead me toward God. She wouldn't lead me astray. But Solomon, Solomon picked these women from other nations, these women who just were from godless societies. So girls, guys, as you're looking for a spouse, um, look for somebody who loves the Lord. Don't look for somebody that you really, really, really like and maybe they'll really, really love the Lord so you can keep really, really, really liking them. I mean, you can try that, but we're going to keep reading and you'll see how these things turn out. His wives led him astray. Verse 4, as Solomon grew old, 
his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. As the heart of David his father had been, he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There's a statement right there in verse 6. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. This is the guy who wrote most of the Proverbs, wrote most of the book, likely wrote most of it before a lot of this really kicked in. And then later on he wrote Ecclesiastes. Verse 7, on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place, a, 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 a temple shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did, listen to this verse, he did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Wow, this guy was a, like a big time idolater. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I won't even tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. That tribe was Judah, because the lion from the tribe of Judah uh, would have to be born, and that would be Jesus. Solomon, uh, he had a tough time. He had a tough life because he didn't apply wisdom and understanding. He knew it. He knew it. You ever meet people that are like too smart for their own good, right? They're just like, they're way too smart and they do the dumbest things. That was basically Solomon. But what was he doing though? He wasn't doing dumb things that his society would look and say, oh, that's dumb. No, the people around him were saying, dude, you're doing exactly what you should be doing, like what people at your level would be doing. That's the part that we have to be careful about. What are the people at your level doing? You know, the people down the street, the people next door, the people you work with, what are they doing? Because it's easy to just, you just fit in with them. They'll never complain to you about it. They'll never criticize you. Because you're, you're just, you know, you feel comfortable and they feel comfortable. You're doing what they're doing, they're doing what you're doing, it's all good. But is it all good what God wants us to do? Because Solomon, it was all good, but it, it wasn't good. So here are the four verses we're going to look at from Proverbs chapter 3. They're real easy, 5 through 8. You've heard of them before, but think about them now in the context of Solomon is writing these. Probably after he had some wives that he shouldn't have, number one, the wife from Egypt, but also probably after he had already started doing some of these sacrifices and worshiping of idols, he wrote this, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Good words, really good words. Because in these words we see wisdom, and in these words we see action. We see knowing what to do, and we see following through on it, and we see the result is health to your body, paths that are straight, nourishment to your bones. So again, the younger you are when you start making good decisions, oh man, the better your life's going to be. All of us older people know that. We all have things that we wish we would have changed 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. But knowing, you know, knowing something, reading your Bible in the morning or listening to uh, Christian radio or, or doing a Bible study with some friends or coming to church, knowing it is half the battle. It's then actually like living it out. It's applying it is what's really difficult. And it was difficult for Solomon because he knew he had been warned. Back in the law of Moses, which Solomon would have known very well, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says this about kings. It says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel just before they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. He says, when you get into that land and you've taken possession of it and you've settled in it, and you say, let's set a king over us, and here's the key, like all the nations around us, like our neighbors, like the people we work with, like my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, like my parents, like our kids are doing. There's such a pull to be like other people. It's nothing new. It's the human condition. Verse 15, when you say that, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Don't place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, number one, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. Number two, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. We saw what happened. Number three, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. But God said, well, because you didn't ask for it, I'm going to give you wealth too. He said he would give him wealth. Well, wealth isn't bad, but notice that word there, accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. That word accumulate, hear the word hoard. Anybody watch Hoarders on whatever network it's on? I secretly love that show. <laughs> Hoarders, they just, start, they just start accumulating stuff. All kinds of stuff. Well, what did he accumulate? What all of us would love to. Silver and gold, he accumulated it. See, wealth isn't bad. You need to use it for good, not just accumulate it and hoard it, because that's called selfishness, and there's, no, there's a lack of generosity there. I, I have a friend who, who sold his company for millions and millions and millions of dollars. But he didn't move. He didn't buy a bigger house. Didn't buy a different vehicle, um, but he did have to wonder that the people that hung around him that were friends with him, 
he had to wonder, do they like me or do they like my money? He didn't know. Time would tell. Goes on to say in Deuteronomy, this is a, I love this part, verse 18. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. That would take a while. Taken from that of the Levitical priests. It's to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Now, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. This is not Solomon writing. But Solomon would have been privy to this instruction. And likely David did this. He would have written that out. He would have had that. And he would have likely read it. Did he read it all the days of his life? Questionable. And, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is what the king was to do. He was to do those three things, not do those three things, and then he was to have the law and always read it and always follow it. What are we to do? Kind of the same thing, right? We've got to understand what God wants for our lives, and then God wants us to follow that. And again, why? It's just we, we talk about this all the time. It's the same reason why parents tell their kids, hey, don't do this and do that because this will be very bad for you and it will hurt you, and this will be very good for you and it will bless you. That's why we tell our kids stuff. That's why God tells us stuff. Read, read my word, understand my heart, understand what I want for you, and follow my ways. Then you, you will have a great life. In Deuteronomy 17, it talks about horses, which represent power and strength. It talks about the kings should not have accumulate wives, uh, that's re referencing sex and, sex and prestige, that he's got all this harem of beautiful women. And then silver and gold, which represents wealth and riches. These are the areas that people get in trouble. They want power. They want prestige and pleasure. They want riches and wealth. These are the areas that people fall down in and yield to temptation in. Jesus said this. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, it's wisdom, and puts them into practice is like the guy who builds his house on a rock. But, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine, the wisdom, they've got the wisdom, but they don't put it into practice. They're like Solomon, the guy who builds his house on the sand. James wrote, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Don't just listen and deceive yourselves. And you know, I, I do it, you do it. At times we realize, well, we're just deceiving ourselves. We know what we should be doing, but we're not doing it. And we're just fooling ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. And we need to, we need to straighten out. And then James also wrote, if anyone knows the good that they ought to do, and that they don't do it, it, it to them, it's sin for them to not do it. If they know what they should do, but they don't do it, James calls that sin. Wisdom isn't enough. There needs to be a heart change. And Jesus is in the business of changing hearts. That's why Jesus is called by Paul, again, both the wisdom of God and the power of God. 
True wisdom comes from God, but wisdom is actually a person, a person who transforms and changes hearts. And that's why you can have people from Community Heights over the last 10 years who have died and gone to be with the Lord. You can look at their lives and say, wow, they didn't mess up like Solomon. You could name them right now. I could start giving you names right now, right? I'm not going to name people. But I could start naming them. And you know, they weren't perfect, but they were good people. They were faithful. Some of them, most of them faithful to the bitter end, right? On their, their dying breath, they were faithful to God. We don't all have to end up like Solomon. We don't all have to end up on the ash heap of history as a leader or as an example, as a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife. We don't all have to end up like that. Some of them in the Bible did, and it shows us that none of us can just say, oh, I'm just doing fine. You know, I can't fall. I, you know, I'll never make a mistake. None of us can say that because of so much of the character carnage that we can see in the Scriptures. But we just look amongst the own, our own family here at the church, and we can look over the last, some of you have been here a long time. You can look over 40 or 50 years of a lot of people that have gone on to be with Christ that were good people, good people, because Jesus changed them. Jesus saved them and transformed them, gave them his righteousness and his spirit, and they lived good lives, not perfect but good lives, godly lives, lives marked by wisdom and grace and generosity. So we can do those things because of God. We can do those things because of Jesus Christ. But wisdom isn't enough. It's good for us to get wisdom from God's word, but wisdom isn't enough. We need to have a heart change, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come to you this morning uh, as people who need you, Lord. We need you in our lives. We need the power of your spirit. We need the grace of the Savior. We need to be born again. We need to be filled with your righteousness and redeemed and reconciled and all those other theological phrases, God. But we we need to be changed by you. And then we need your power, Lord, as we live for you. God, we saw the life of Solomon, the guy who had it all, and it didn't help him. And yet, God, we can look right in our own congregation and we can see people, humble people, simple people, people who did not have it all. They didn't have very much, but they were faithful to you. They honored you. They honored their family and their community. They loved others. They did good. God, help us to be those kinds of people. We don't really need anything except for your love in our lives and to share that with other people. We don't need anything except for to love you with all of our hearts. We don't need anything, God, really, except for just to be disciples who follow you. So God, as we look at wisdom, help us to take it, help us to store it away in our minds and in our hearts, but help our hearts, God, to follow you, that we would walk in your ways that we would obey you, and that you would bless us. God, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would see their sinfulness, 
as so many of us have recognized our own sinfulness. And then we see Jesus on the cross dying for that sin. And Lord, we called out to you for forgiveness. We called out to you in faith, believing that the cross was good for us, that our sins were paid for on the cross, that we can be forgiven by you. God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning who's never done that, that they would call out to you, save me, Lord Jesus. Save me from my sins. I place my faith in you. I place my trust in you. The best I know how, God, I believe in you. Be my savior. Change me. Make my heart clean. Help me to follow you. God, for each of us, whether it's the first time we've done that this morning or we did it 50 years ago, God, we want to follow you. So this morning, we worship you, we praise you. We thank you for being the great God that you are. I pray this week as we go out from here that we would go out and make a difference by simply following you and sharing your love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.